If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a Midi clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Hey, Streetwalkers. On Sunday, August 29th, 2021, we lost an American icon. Ed Asner was an actor from the mid-1950s up until the day he passed away with roles in 13 yet-to-be-released films and roles in seven television shows also yet to be released. Ed served two terms as the president of the Screen Actors Guild from 1981 to 1985. He was beloved by generations and was consistently a polarizing and outspoken political activist. But more important than any of that, at least to me personally, is that Ed Asner was a guest on my show not once, but twice. He could not have been more of a delight either time. Both appearances were to promote new books he had authored, and the second appearance was at his request. What follows is those two episodes. The first one was released July 25th, 2018, and at that point, the audio quality wasn't the greatest, so please hang in there. It was a lot of fun. The second episode was released August 10th, 2020, little more than a year before his passing. In this second episode, Ed speaks fondly of his family and talks about each of them in detail as he reflects on their passing. This is a heartfelt conversation and you can feel the love and the longing for days long past. Ed was more kind to me than I could ever have hoped for and will always hold a special place in my heart. Blessings on a life well lived, Mr. Yitzhak Ed Asner, and thank you so much for your kindness. You will be missed. I believe that everybody has a story, and I'm fascinated to hear them. So come with me as we take a walk down Fascination Street. Welcome back, guys. This episode is my chat with Hollywood legend Ed Asner. Depending on your age, you know Ed Asner from The Mary Tyler Moore Show, Lou Grant, even the Pixar movie Up. In this episode, we talk about Mary Tyler Moore's show, Lou Grant and Up, of course, but we also talk about his new book, The Grouchy Historian. An old-time lefty defends our Constitution against right-wing hypocrites and nutjobs. We talk about his touring one-man show, A Man and His Prostate, and he even tells us a really cool story about him, 
Gavin McLeod, and Ted Knight. Enjoy, guys. This is Ed Asner. Hi, Mr. Asner. Yeah. Hi, this is Steve Owens with Fascination Street Podcast. How you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you? I am doing well. Well, Mr. Asner, first I just want to thank you so much for taking this time. I'm a huge fan, have been for my entire life. So uh, this means a lot to me. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Now, first of all, can I call you Ed? Oh, absolutely. Or would you prefer I call you Yitzhak? Well, since I'm not Hebrew, I won't call you that. How's that? All right. Well, Mr. Asner, you have hey, been... I was dead. Oh, see? I already messed up. See how I am? You are. You are. You messed up. <laughs> well, Ed, everybody knows who you are, mostly. For, well, it depends on the generation, but either from Mary Tyler Moore Show or Lou Grant, even Roots... Uh, the younger generations know you as the, the grouchy old man from that Pixar movie, Up. What do you get the most uh, recognition from? Well, nothing can compare to what I received from Mary Tyler Moore. Really? Well, that's all. That's a number of years, man. <laughs> yeah, it was. I wanted to talk to you about that. So, Mary Tyler Moore was a half-hour sitcom based on a television newsroom, and then your character spun off to your own show, which was it converted to a one-hour comedy in a newspaper office. How does that work? It wasn't a comedy. I'm sorry. I meant a one-hour drama. So how did that work no, out? It worked out fine. What made everybody decide to spin Lou Grant off into a one-hour drama? Nothing like that had it really existed before. The market seemed good for it. They didn't seem to think that they could continue creating comedy with network TV. So um, the two producers had been identified with newspapers before. They found it an intriguing hole to dive into. And as they died, and all the people they brought along with them, nobody had ever done newspapers before or um, done a show about them. Well, I think it worked out really well. Why did it end? I was outspoken on... El Salvador, Nicaragua at the time. I was um, deemed a loudmouth and um, branded by others as a commie. A commie? Yeah. All right. Do you think that that's the only time that you being outspoken off camera has impacted your career? To my knowledge, yes. Yeah. Gotcha. I'm I'm probably going to jump around a little bit. You were in the service like before before you started acting, right? Yeah. Uh, Which branch? Army Signal Corps. And did you go anywhere overseas? France. Ooh, nice. Was there any good memories of that time? It was a wonderful experience. I will be grateful to Uncle Sam all my life for taking me across the ocean. Have you been back since? I've been back to France, yeah. Oh, cool. When did you decide that you wanted to get into acting? Oh, I, I've been toying with the idea in the back of my mind. Not consciously so, but I think it was... You just didn't think in those terms in those days. You didn't think that's how you made a living in life. I didn't think I, naturally, I wasn't handsome. So um, I couldn't think of becoming a leading man. 
So you, um, I tried out for a play in college. I ended up doing the lead. And um, I came to realize that theater acting was more than being handsome and uh, being a uh, leading man. What more? What more? Yeah, you said it's more than just being handsome. What, what is it? An examiner of the human condition under many different circumstances. Nice. What do you get personally out of it each time? I think it became therapy for me. It became a means of transporting myself into somebody else, alleviating the load of not liking who I was. Was that an issue? I think so. Are you over it? I'm not entirely in love with myself, but I guess I'm over it. (laughs) All right. So when did you decide that you wanted to run for um, the Screen Actors Guild president? When uh, many of the friends I was surrounded by felt that I had to do it to save the union. That's what I was going to ask. So did you do it for because you wanted to make specific changes? Yeah, uh, we had just been involved in a big strike at that time. I had been allied with the liberal wing of the union at that uh, prior to that time. I felt that we should not have settled the strike that quickly or that cheaply. So um, my friends uh, felt that uh, I should run and present to the membership of the union a more aggressive presidency. And were you able to make the changes that you wanted or at least send it in that direction? You never make the changes you want. There's always something that gets in the way. Or you find that by making change... In one sense, you're increasing the burden in another sense. So uh, it's time wasted. But it took you two terms to figure that out, though, right? Yeah, more than that. More than two terms? Yeah, I was on the board after that. Oh, I was, gotcha. I've was. i been on the opposition, so to speak, up until recently when I finally retired from the board. So that um, the battle still goes on. Do you think that SAG protected the actors more then or now? I don't think they do it now. Really? Not at all, huh? No. Wow. They've gotten too big. One of the main reasons I did not want to see the merger take place, because they hadn't solved the problems of portability. Portability of pension, portability of health care. And they still haven't done it. Do you think they will in your lifetime? Probably not. (laughs) Well... Well, that's a little disheartening. Let's move on to something else. Uh, so you've been nominated for, I think it's over 20 Emmys, right? I guess so. And you won a couple. What do you mean a couple? You don't know how to count. Ooh. Well, how, how many? seven. Well, that is, I heard it was eight. That's why I, because I heard one, somebody said it was seven and then somebody else said it was eight. So. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I won a Canadian Emmy as well. So that makes it eight. Wow. Where do you keep them? All strewn about the house. Nice. Does any one of them stand out as more important or special to you? Not really. Not really. Um, the first one was a treasure, a surprise, a tremendous surprise. The second was became the confirmation of the first. And it goes on like that. Mm-hmm. Now I haven't received any in a long time. <laughs> so if I got one now, that would signify that... You folks haven't forgotten me. (laughs) I don't think anybody's likely to forget you any time in the near future. 
Okay. So you were born in Kansas City? Yeah. And when is the last time you went back to Kansas City? For my brother's funeral, a year before last. Well, that is super sad, and I apologize. I'm sorry. No, you don't have to apologize. So I was in Kansas City probably about two years ago, and there's this thing. I don't know if if it was there when you were younger or if you've been back since it's been up, but I guess some farmers found in a field like a sunken riverboat. It was full of, it was like a Walmart. It was full of everything that they would drop off to the local general stores up and down the river, but it sank full. And so they dug it up and turned it into like this museum and it's called the Arabia. And it's right, it's right there in Kansas City on the border between Missouri and Kansas. And if if you haven't been, you should really check it out because it is historical and amazing. It's my favorite thing about Kansas City. What year was it dated? The the actual boat, like when did it go down? Yeah. Uh, somewhere like in the 1840s, I think. And then the river moved and it ended up being like in the middle of a farmer's cornfield or something and they dug it up. No kidding. Yeah, no kidding. Um, I haven't heard a thing about it. Wow. I When I was there, I spent about three and a half hours just ooing and aahing over every single thing. It was so amazing. It's like a Walmart sank. But a Walmart for They were able to tout everything? Yeah, yeah. And there's there's everything from um from tools to, you know, doorknobs and keys and knives and uh there's beads and dishes and jewelry, just all, everything that you would find at the general stores, you know, hundred and fifty years ago. Yeah. It's amazing. It sounds fascinating. It really is cool. Where where is it? Is it on the Missouri side or the Kansas side? I think it's on the Missouri side. But, like, I had never heard of it, but when I was there, I was asking some people what I should go do while my wife was at work that day, and and that suggestion came up, and I'm sure glad it did. I've told everybody I could about it. It's amazing. What was your wife working on? My wife builds psychiatric hospitals around the country, and she was building uh-huh. she was building one there, mm-hmm. and while she was, you know, I had went, I had, she was there to finalize some things, and while she was doing that, I went to the Arabia. Well, that's a noble calling she's got. Well, she's really sweet, and she's been doing it for about 25 years, so she's really good at it. Well, and it's a good thing that you have somebody who is first in psychiatry. <laughs> it's a good thing sometimes, but when she gets all psychiatry on me, I want to get all mad and say, knock it off. Well, that's too goddamn bad, isn't yeah, it? It is. It's hard to, it's hard to win a fight. Around here. <laughs> good, good. And I just know that there are controls in your life, that there are limits. Well, how dare you? <laughs> yeah. I'm not married right now, and I sure could use some limits myself. Oh, really? No. So if your wife wants to change affiliations... <laughs> uh, I'll ask her. I'm, I'll, I'm in the market. I will let her know. She did want me to let you know that she had a crush on you in uh back in the in the Mary Tyler Moore days. Well tell her she has good taste. Oh, I will tell her that. Mm-hmm. So I think that you have an Ed Asner Foundation. Is that right? Well we're starting one, yes. My son and his wife are creating the Ed Asner I don't know what the exact name of it is. It's uh trying to create Counseling and and coaching and tutorship 
primarily for children, but it, it's the center for achieving flowering. Is it for a particular... Well, autism is certainly one of the things to be considered, but I mean, any social burden would hopefully be handled there, be it ADD or be it Downs, whatever. What inspired this? My son and his daughter. My son has been vice president with Autism Speaks and uh, just recently left uh, the Autism Society. So he's been planning this for a couple of years now. Gotcha. Well, I will make before I put this up, I'll make sure and, and get that website where people can go to donate and to see what they can do to help. Yeah, that would be a big help and uh, would be certainly most welcome. So... You were in a couple of movies with Elvis Presley, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yep. Did you have any scenes with him? Well, sure. Not in Kid Galahad to speak of, but in um, Change of Habit, I did. And what was your impression of him? Because uh, by then you were a, you had been acting probably for longer than him, I would assume. Oh yeah. So yeah. what 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 did you think about uh, his acting chops? <laughs> Well, in, in Kid Galahad, right at the beginning of his success, uh, he had a bunch of good old boys as an entourage, and he was in the midst of practicing karate. I think his hand, one hand was broken at the time, but uh, he was a good old boy, and he uh, was the belle of the ball, and a good guy. Really? Oh, yeah. And uh, the same applied when, uh, when he did... Um, Change of habit. Uh, he was a good guy there, too. He never stopped being a good guy. He had less of an entourage at that point, but he was much more alluring. Uh, he was quite the chick magnet. Weren't you also? What makes you think so? Um, I feel like there's some stories. What do you mean there was stories? No, I just feel Come like... On, let's, let me hear the skinny. <laughs> I just feel like I've heard tale of you being a man about town. Well, I, I use Uber. <laughs> I don't know. I just got. Why, to... Are you a Lyft man? No, I, I, I'm, I am not. Well, when I'm in LA, I use Uber. It's way easier than trying to drive in that town. Good lord. God, it's horrible. Yes. Really become horrible. It is terrible. Yes, 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 yes. Tell me about Ted Knight. You guys worked on screen. Did y'all did y'all have a relationship off screen? Were y'all friends? Oh, we used to go out every every Friday night after the show with our wives and have dinner. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Drinks. 
the cat's meow. The cat's meow. Did you guys ever, I don't know, did you guys learn anything from each other as far as acting ever? Well, I, I saw what it, what it was like to be the funniest man I ever knew, and that was Ted. He was a comic genius, so it was easy to pick up hints watching him. The best story I can tell you about that is one time Gavin and I were walking along. Ted was in the midst of a rehearsing a scene. So I said, guys, watch this and tell me what you think. So he watched it, and it was a very funny scene. He was very funny. He said, now we're going to do it again. I'm going to do it a different way, and I want you to tell me how they compare for you. So he did it a different way. It was still funny, almost as funny as the first. Then he came back and said, I'm going to do it a, a third way, and uh, you uh, you let me know. We watched the third way. It was funny, too, and different. Finally, he ended up settling on the first method with some modification. And Kevin and I looked, and we thought, that son of a bitch. We struggled to get it right the first time, and hopefully it's the best that we get. And he cavalierly waltzes through and comes up with three different interpretations, all of which are enormously saleable. So that that shows you his comic capacity. What a great story. Thank you for that. Mm. So you have been on TV, movies, Broadway, and you do voiceovers. Is there any one of those that you prefer now that you're a little bit older? Well, Broadway's not at the top. Broadway never... Never did enough to satisfy me. Working and working and reworking and working and reworking. With TV, you can approach, do a great job in refining the results. Film, I I had the pleasure of doing Elf with John Favreau. That was a delight. As much as I hate to say it, I prefer film to stage. Stage is is where you start, where you learn. So you got to do it. That makes sense. What about voice acting or voiceovers? I love it. I love it. Yeah? I've done a lot of it. I did radio in high school. Oh, cool. Yeah. I uh, was busy being the gay-voiced continental lover most of the time. <laughs> what are you laughing at? The way you, you laughing at me? No, sir. <laughs> you better not laugh at me. I have a question about the movie Up. I was looking at the Wikipedia page for that movie, and it says that that movie's budget was $175 million. That can't be true, can it? Uh, They didn't spend it on me. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think it was mostly advertising? I don't know where that money went. Well, maybe it was. I don't know. I have no idea. According, We didn't see it there. According to that same article, it made $735 million worldwide. Did you see any of that money? Whoa, uh, not enough of it. <laughs> so you are, well, I guess right now you're taking a break, but back uh, when August comes, you're going to continue your one-man show, A Man and His Prostate. Is that right? Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that show. What's it? Well, besides your prostate, what's it about? Well, my... It was written by Ed Weinberger, who was a producer, writer on the Mary Tyler Moore Show, and has been very successful since. It's a wonderful show. 
the wonderful show which talks about the fact that every 16 minutes a man dies of cancer, prostate cancer in this country, and at the same time giving you that information, alerting you to that information. I performed Ed's attack of prostatitis on a cruise ship to Italy to uh, gales of laughter. <laughs> uh, well, it sounds awesome. Yeah, it is. It's a wonderful package. I would encourage everybody listening to go to amanandhisprostate.com and see where it's showing, uh, where it's touring. Uh, it will be picking back up in August in New York, Connecticut, and Rhode Island. I'm sure it might be other places, so check that website to find out. And if you don't like the show, Steve will refund your money. See, that's what I will do. Wait a minute. Hold on now. What is it? What's wrong? I don't want to do that. I don't want to replace anybody's money. Why don't you just tell them that it's going to be a good show and they will enjoy it? As I said, if you're not happy with the show, Steve will refund your money. <laughs> Thanks, Ed. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, so. Anything I can do for you, my friend, and uh, widen your audience, widen your appeal, I'll do it. Hey, guess what, Ed? I'm going to tell everybody that you said we're friends. I have it on recording. You said we're friends. I'll deny it when they ask me, but go ahead. Oh, man. Okay, so your people sent me your book. Your book is called The Grouchy Historian, An Old-Time Lefty Defends Our Constitution Against Right-Wing Hypocrites and Nutjobs. Now, this book was... Where are you based? I'm in San Antonio, Texas. Uh Uh Aha. I've been there. Why? Oh, basic training? Hey. Don't get uppity with me, pal. <laughs> uh, when were you here? I don't know. I was invited there, and I was I was quite pleased with what I found. Well, consider yourself invited back. Thank you. It would not be burdensome. Oh, that's good to hear. Good to hear. So your people sent me this book, but then I found out that you read the audio book yourself. So I bought the audio book and listened to that. Ah, uh-huh. you already listened to it? Yes, sir, I did. Uh, every bit of it. And you I, like it? I was delighted. It was charming. Wow. It was funny. I found it educational. Yeah, it definitely is that. So, since I have this actual hard copy paper book, and I've already listened to the audiobook, I'm going to go ahead and give away this copy of the book to one of my listeners. Are you okay with that? Yeah, it has a signature? It does not. Well, you can tell them, send it to me, whoever you award the book to, and I'll sign it. I'll tell you what, I will mail you the book cover jacket, Yeah. and then you can sign that, and then send it back to me, and then I'll give it away. How's that? Well, no. (laughs) Wait until you find out who won it, and then I I can address it to them personally. Oh, that's an even better idea. Uh-huh. I love it. You idiot. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about this book. Ed Weinberger helped you write this book also? Yeah. Yeah, what do you want me to say? I want you to tell me why you wrote it. Well, I've, I've been hearing for years, as has he, uh, the, uh, how Republicans claim they own the goddamn Constitution, that only they can interpret it. That they are the heirs to the originalists. What a lot of crap. Uh, we just wanted the American people to start thinking for themselves and uh, 
proclaiming the Constitution as their document, not belonging to Republicans generally. Gotcha. How much research went into making this book? Great deal. It, you see all the attributions. It, it appears like this was a lot of research went into making this book. It is. Oh, there was a lot of it. It is very detailed, and it dives deep into stuff that I never heard of before. A lot of it I had never heard before. Yeah. Ed, Ed did almost all of the research. Uh, I have another friend, a uh, young lawyer, who uh, aided him. They're pretty rock solid on their bases of interpretation. What inspired you to get John Amos to read uh, that particular section of the book? Well, John had worked at Mary Tyler Moore Show. We were friends. He played for Kansas City. In those days, John used to build himself as the most traded pro football player in the sport. <laughs> uh, he's a wonderful guy, and he's a good actor. He's a great actor. Yeah. When you picked up the phone and called him and asked him to be a part of this, was he excited? Was he skeptical? Yes, of course he was. I told him I'd beat the crap out of him if he didn't do it. So he, he said, yes, Ed. <laughs> and uh, he did. Nice. Have you done any speaking tours with this book? I've done book signings, and Ed and I have appeared jointly talking about it in a few places. Not a lot. Well, I think you should come to San Antonio and do one. Just for me. Well, Just you know, me. I'm, I'm all for that. But with the, the Me Too gangs out there, you have to be very careful about how you expose yourself and not set yourself up to be depredated by the Me Too ladies. So being in the business as long as you've been in the business... Don't you agree? I absolutely agree. Um, being in the business as long as you have been... Did you see a lot of the behavior that inspired the Me Too movement? No, I didn't see it. And, of course, I have been accused at times myself of being too forward in my approach to women. I am aggressive, and thank God I have never, I have never forced myself on any woman that I know of. And I will hopefully step forward and, uh, and cite chapter and verse to me, and I will either acknowledge my sins, or combat it any way I can. I was never aware of another male's misusage, because it's a private thing. I'm sure even Harvey Weinstein did a lot of his depredation in private. Yeah, I think so. Tell me about touring. Uh, yeah, I think you played Franklin Delano Roosevelt for quite a while on Broadway. or Well, they toured the country. I did it for about four years. Now, that's a long time. How was traveling? Like, how how are you with that kind of travel? Well, I'm, I'm traveling as much with man and his prostate. I don't blossom well with travel, but it's the only way we get to show out there. And why do you do it? I mean, I'm pretty sure that you probably don't need the money to pay your bills. So. Yes, I do. <laughs> Mind your own goddamn business. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that might be the name of this episode. <laughs> oh, Ed, you are a delight to talk to, my friend. Well, you're a good questioner. I appreciate that. Yeah, I sure want to meet your wife. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> She's beautiful. Mm. She is yeah. gorgeous. I said, I'm tell her I need some head work. Oh my goodness. 
I probably yeah. I probably won't tell her that part. Why not? Oh, I don't know. Hashtag me too. <laughs> Oh, no, I'm not, talk- I'm not talking sexually. Oh, okay. You idiot. You think I would talk like that to you? <laughs> oh, my gosh. You're so refreshing. Mm-hmm. I hope your wife finds me that way. Oh, my goodness. What do you? What's on the horizon? What do you got planned? Besides pimping this book and finishing this A Man and His Prostate Tour, what else do you got going on? Well, you know, I, you speak of horizon. And as I look out over the Pacific, and as I reach the edge of the horizon, I see ships coming, and I I see the top of their mass. And then as they get closer, I see more and more of their mass. So it seems like they're sailing on a circle. So I have a theory that the world is around. Are you messing with me? Why would I mess with you, sailor? You don't really think the world's round. I certainly beginning to think so. Well, that is a fantastic idea. I'll have to think about that and get back to you. Why that sea thing I told you about? It might be Go that. Go down there in the Gulf and look at the horizon and watch boats coming towards you. And you'll see it starts with the mass, and then as they get more and more, see more mass, more mass, and finally the boat. So I, I think you'll find I'm right. Well, I, I think you might just be. Well... One of my favorite TV shows that didn't last very long was Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Do you have yeah. Do you have any stories, or do you hold Do you remember that show fondly? Well, I liked what he wrote for me. He's a great writer, but I felt he was wasting too much time on the love stories of the young people when he could have been involving everybody dramatically with me. I'm sure the show would have lasted had he done more of that. Yeah, I think uh, the, if he focused more on you, I think the show would still be on. Yeah, of course it would. <laughs> well, Ed, had a lovely time. Lovely time saying his words. Well, it was my it was my favorite TV show uh, when it was on, and it, it broke my heart when it got canceled. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, send your heart to me with the with the book cover. Oh. And I'll try to repair it. And also send my wife. Yeah, oh, that too. Yeah, that too. I'll pay the postage on that one. (laughs) Well, I I appreciate that. Is there anything anything that you wanted to talk about that I didn't bring up? Well, you haven't mentioned your mistress. Oh, oh, I never mention her. That's that's how she stays a mistress. Oh, well, I, uh, can you send pictures? (laughs) <laughs> Not of my mistress, of my wife, maybe. Wait, what? <laughs> either one, I'll, I'll be glad to slobber and slaver over either of them. How very flattering. Mm-hmm. 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 I know the way to a woman's heart. I bet you do. Yep. I bet you Been do. Been there, done that. A few times, I'm sure. Yeah. Unfortunately, my ex-wife is not speaking to me right now, but... When she comes to her senses, she'll just start speaking to me again. And none of my ex-wives speak to me, and I'm okay with it. Oh, really? Yes, How sir. many you been married? Uh, I'm on my third marriage right now. Oh, my goodness. Well, then I certainly empathize. And I empathize with you, sir. Oh, good, good. And I and I know that you're 
to identify with the problems I speak of and recognize them, and we're birds of a feather. Uh, we are. That is the truth. Mm-hmm. Ed Asner, I want to. Yeah. I, <laughs> I want to thank you so much for your time. I know that it's a. No, holiday. no, no, no. The gratitude's all mine. Absolutely not. You made time for me. I really appreciate it. I want to let you get back to the rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you. What's left of it? What is left of it, indeed. I will, when this show comes out, I will put a link to your book and the link to a man and his prostate.com in the show notes so that people can go there and, and buy both of those things. Go see the show and buy the book. The book is phenomenal. Okay. You guys did um, a really good job on that book, Ed. You should be proud. I am. I really am. And it's an important book. It is important. It, like I said, it opened my eyes up to a lot of things I was unaware of. That's great. That's really great. All right. Kiss your wife. I will kiss her from me, not from you, you scoundrel. Why? What did I do to you? <laughs> you're going to have to let me know when you're headed this way. Oh, I'll have my AK-47 with me, so you'll know. What the heck? Nah, man, I just want to give you a ride, that's all. <laughs> oh, okay. Alright. Then I'll kill you. There you go. I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Ed. All right. You have a great rest of your day, okay? Thanks, Steve. Thank you, sir. You were a delight. Really good talking to you. You too. Bye-bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit I believe that everybody has a story, and I'm fascinated to hear them. So come with me as we take a walk down Fascination Street. Welcome back, Streetwalkers. This episode is Ed Asner's Return. Ed Asner appeared on the show about two years ago, and I'm delighted to report that he has returned. As you all know, Ed Asner is an eight-time Emmy-winning actor, former SAG president, and outspoken political activist. In this episode, we talk about Ed's new book, Son of a Junk Man, 
We also talk a little bit about Briar Patch, the new show on the USA channel, which he's a part of. We talk about Ed growing up in West Bottoms, Kansas City, how he is the sole surviving sibling. We talk about each of his siblings and what they meant to him as they are no longer here. He tells us a fun story about Betty White and why he gave her the nickname of One Classy Broad. And we talk about why, at the age of 90, with all of his success, he's still a working actor. I highly recommend his new book, The Son of a Junk Man. I read it on vacation at the beach recently, and it is a delight. Click on the Amazon link on the homepage at fascinationstreetpod.com and get that book. You'll be glad you did. It was a blast. This was recorded during all the self-distancing due to the coronavirus outbreak. So if that is over by now, woohoo. If not, damn it. But either way, this is my second conversation with the incomparable Ed Asner. Welcome to Fascination Street Podcast again, Ed Asner. How are you doing today, Ed? Good, and you? I am wonderflonium. Thank you for asking. It's another sunny day in California. And also, it is a sunny day here in San Antonio. It's been raining for the last couple of days, and uh, much like L.A., San Antonio, we don't really like that. We're supposed to be in the desert, so we don't really like rain. I have a friend in uh, Dallas. She's been getting quite a bit of rain there. Dallas is about five hours away, and they typically have wildly different weather than really? us. Like, they have a lot of snow sometimes really? and a lot of rain. Like, yeah, they get a lot of stuff we don't get down here. No kidding. No kidding. I come from Kansas City originally, and, uh, of course, we used to get snow when I was a kid. But uh, a lot of that stopped as time went on. Really? Yeah. That kind of surprises me. Maybe that's where all that Dallas snow came from. Maybe it moved. <laughs> Maybe it did. Maybe it did. <laughs> but anything to put water on the land is uh, okay by me. Yeah, that's a good point. Good point. Now, Ed, bear with me here for a second. I got a bone to pick with you. What am I going to do with you, Ed? The last time you were on my show, my wife would not stop talking about how much she loves you and how when she was younger, you were her big crush. She had good taste then. Oh, how dare you. And then, due to this quarantine thing, we've been catching up on some TV shows that we never really watched. Yeah. And so, we recently, we were watching Curb Your Enthusiasm. Uh-huh. Last night, your episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm came on, and she giggled like a little schoolgirl, and she shouted, I love Ed. He's so charmingly naughty and a scamp. Mm-hmm. So, I just, I don't know what I'm going to do with you, man. Well, you don't have to. It's up to her. Oh. <laughs> I was hoping you wouldn't say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't wait to meet up with you and sweep your wife off her feet. You're going to steal my wife, aren't you, Ed? If I can. Oh, man. All right. Well, you probably could. I mean, doesn't she want a 90-year-old? Maybe. I mean, you are pretty suave and debonair, my friend. Come on. You can have a snappy comeback. I can't, because I'm afraid that you're really going to take my wife. (laughs) Well, I've learned a lot of lessons in that 90, you know? Oh, well, I bet you have. I think I'll start a lecture tour. (laughs) Yeah, women love being lectured to. (laughs) Maybe I'm (laughs) safe. (laughs) Oh, that's cool. What's your wife's name? 
Her name is Sean with a W. Sean. Yes, sir. How do you spell that? S H A W N. S H A W N. I see. Yes, sir. But it's a pretty spelling. Well, she's gorgeous. I I think I'm I'm becoming more interested as in we talk. <laughs> yeah. Wait till I tell you that she's a nurse. Oh God, that would be such a blessing. To have a passion mate who is also a nurse. It's called double dealing. <laughs> yes. Double mm-hmm. dipping, even. Well, that too. That, that, that absolutely true. Now, last week, I took my wife and my kids. My kids are grown. You don't have to worry about taking care of them. They're in their 30s. You're, you're fine there. But the four of us... You sound so young to have 30-year-olds. Thank you. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I gather your wife must sound that young, too. What's really funny is uh, everybody thinks that I'm considerably older than my wife. (laughs) And that is offensive. That's probably one of the reasons why she can still giggle and chuckle over the thought of me. (laughs) So last week, Ed, I took my family to the beach. Mm -hmm. Where's the beach in San Antonio? Well, we went to the coast, Corpus Christi. I had a cousin who lived in Corpus Christi for a long time. How far is uh It's three hours. That's the closest you are to water? Yes, sir. That is the closest. Okay. Three hours. Okay. But I took your book with me to read on the beach. My book. Your book. The Bible. No. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't take the book. I took your oh, book. <laughs> Okay. I took your newest book, Son of a Junk Man, to read at the beach, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. uh, I must say that I was disappointed in it. Were you? I was. Ask me why. Why? Because it wasn't nearly long enough. Oh, that's a good comeback. Well, it's the truth, because I was reading it on a a Kindle, right? So it's not like you know how many pages are left in your hand. And so when I got to the end, I was like, no. Oh, that's a shame. (laughs) Well, I'm here now to supply whatever missing chapters you want to hear about. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. So first, I would like to tell everybody to go get that book, whether you get it on Kindle or whether you get a real paper copy. You can't start off selling my book by telling them it's not long enough. You've got to tell them it's a feast of, of letters. It's a, it's a feast of delight. You've got to sell it, man. <laughs> You've got to sell it, man. All right. Well, it is those things. And it was so good, in fact, that it kept me from going into the water. I just sat under an umbrella and read this book for most of the time I was there. So uh, you owe me a beach trip. Good job. I'll inflate myself and float over you and provide a parasol for your comfort. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Hey, what are friends for? <laughs> so, you grew up in Kansas City. Yeah. Now, I believe at the time there was not a, maybe not a heavy Jewish population in your particular area? Well, it was a well-founded Jewish population because my father arrived sometime in the late 1890s. And he spent a year working, uh, sweating in Boston. And then he went to Kansas City, as they all did when they moved on to join Lanzmann. Lanzmann means landsman. And evidently he had landsmen in Kansas City who uh, he thought would help him. And they did. 
and he set up a junkyard. Okay, so most of the people who know anything about junkyards are thinking Sanford and Son. Yeah. It wasn't that kind of junkyard, right? I never watched Sanford and Son. We would buy jails, take apart jails and we were primitive because we are not the most progressive. We didn't have our own welder. We didn't have our own torch man, that, that type of thing. But we were well organized, and my dad could always hire uh, roundabouts to uh, fill out for whatever big task came along. Now, you said we, so you worked at the junkyard? Oh, yeah. Yeah, through high school. Can you tell me any lessons that, you know, manual labor and working hard helped prepare you for the rest of your life? What did you learn? Well, first of all, I learned that the junk business for us, because we dealt with farms that went under, this is during the Depression, of course, people clearing out their last remains. We bought books and and magazines and all kinds of bric-a-brac. It was a treasure trove to go over as a kid. For instance, we, we, my dad would put in a bid for the police auction, and he'd win the bid, I guess. And so we would go down and unload what the auction was, barrels full of jimmied pistols and stuff like that. So I, I could have uh, all kinds of shootouts with myself as the hero and the villain, whatever was necessary. There was always a, an element of intrigue and excitement in the next load or to discover that in it there were secret pockets of copper, the magical metal, or brass that the farmer didn't know about, so we promptly relieved him of his load, and we bought it as junk, and we sold it as brass and copper. And that was stealing from the gentry, but it was trying to make a living. And it was enough of a living to raise how many kids? Five. I think you're the youngest, right? Yeah. All the others are dead, and I miss them. Yeah, I think the last time we spoke, you had recently gotten back from your brother's funeral. Uh-huh. So my condolences. I'm sorry about that. Frank Sinatra once said that the hardest part about getting older is watching all of your friends and family pass away. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I'm sorry about that. I miss them all, and they probably didn't think I would, but I refer to them mentally every day. Nice. I think that I was the luckiest son of a gun in the world to have... Those other four be my uh, torchbearers. Since we're on the subject of your siblings, and I just asked you to tell me about some lessons you learned working in the junkyard, why don't you go through your siblings and name them and then tell me what you learned? What was the greatest gift they gave you as far as you know, preparing you for your future or just being a, a good sibling in general? Well, that's, that's a lot of freewheeling speaking you've got me doing there. Uh, yeah. I, I, I do better on Q&A. But uh, I'll I'll do what I can. Okay. The oldest, born in 1915, was my brother Ben, Benjamin. He was always a fat kid, but little did everybody know that underneath that fat, he was storing up muscle after muscle after muscle. So he was the toughest son of a gun I've ever come across. He he had a V-shape, the proper way to. There was a time when I was probably a junior in high school. I I was on the football team, and I uh, decided to show my brother, Ben, who came over to visit Mom, what it was like to be on the football team, and I demonstrated a practice tackle on him, and I grabbed him around the legs, and he leaned over, still standing, 
guy didn't tackle him to bring him down, but I was going to show him how I could if I wanted to. And he said, well, yeah, uh-huh. And then while you were doing that, he said, I'll lean over and give you a rabbit punch. And he gave me a rabbit punch in the kidney. <laughs> and I went howling and dying on the floor. And my mother complained to him, well, what, what was he doing to her baby? <laughs> and I learned that if ever I was going to do a uh, tackle on my brother to finish the job. <laughs> so... I loved football, and I got my letter, and I got my plaudits. I weighed in at 180, and I knew that by the time a college got a hold of me, this is in 1947, by the time a college got a hold of me and wore me down to exercise and drills, etc., that I'd be too underweight to be a lineman, which is the only thing I knew. I didn't plan on seeking a football scholarship. Gotcha. Then was uh, Brian Donlevy, Errol Flynn, I know Roderick Crawford type, and he was a good-looking sucker. He knew how to dress, too. He had a flash to him. He was in the best threads, and uh, the jobs he had as he was getting older, uh, as he grew up, was shoe salesman, and I gather he was a good shoe salesman. So Ben was first. Who was next? Then came my sister Eve, who was regarded as the beauty of the family. Quite stunning and a brunette. Eve was born in 16. She uh, left home early and went to Washington U in St. Louis and majored in, uh, I guess, social science. Came back to Kansas City and worked for the uh, Jewish Social Services Department in Kansas City and did that for a while and then finally went back to St. Louis and uh, let her beauty serve as a means of becoming an assistant buyer at Stixbeer and Fuller, the prominent store of St. Louis at the time. And she learned fashion, and she learned manners and ladyship. You'd never know she was a gentleman's daughter. <laughs> Did you learn those things from her? Did you learn your dashing style and your manners? I, I remember going to visit her for some reason. I don't know why. It was like Harvard and Yale, kind of. Kansas City on one end of Missouri and, and St. Louis on the other with its tradition. And I went to visit her and had lunch at Stixbeer and Fuller, where I met up with her. She invited a uh, an older lady who was in the department to have lunch with us. I ordered chicken, and uh, I sat there, and I meticulously cut up my chicken, which was quite an art for that day and age. The older lady complimented me on what a fine job I had done on my chicken. So I guess I learned to rub out some of the uh, roughness of being a junkman's son by the way I take my chicken apart. <laughs> and I felt very proud of that. I passed the cultural uh, test by the lady's comment. And since it took so goddamn long to uh, cut the chicken, I'm sure that they had to witness it for quite a while. <laughs> Who was after Eve? Esther. Esther was broadly built, kind of a roughneck. And she was born in uh, 19, I believe, and uh, eventually went to uh, University of Wisconsin in Madison. And she, too, specialed in social sciences. That was about the only field left for Jewish girls to get involved in, in those days. I can remember two things about Esther. She was a rough neck, a rough beauty, and bedeviled by the stunning beauty of her older sister. So she probably figured she never had a chance, but she did. And she ended up marrying a 
political science professor at the University of Illinois. Had four kids, and they're all successful creatures of themselves. One's a doctor in L.A. Another is a uh, lawyer who uh, I think is at the University of San Diego. I'm not sure if that's the right school. And she's married to a lawyer. That's Laney. Her sister Barbara is a poetess at the University of Pittsburgh. Wow. Then they have a younger brother who is Harry. And Harry, I think, majored in political science as he did his father, but has been downsized because of the uh, pandemic. So he's teaching history in high school right now. They're all successful in their own way. And uh, smart. Everyone's smart. Anyway, uh, Esther came along in 19, and she was followed by Labe, L-A-B-E, which means lion in Hebrew. Aria Labe. He was a roughneck, too. There was one time when we had a Willie's night, and went out riding, and I was in the back seat. Esther was driving, and we pulled into the yard, and, and she said something about, I think we need water. And I thought I'd be a good little trooper, and I'd help out. So I went and got water, and I poured it down the gas tank. That did not delight Esther, so she slapped me. <laughs> and uh, I thought, well, it's a hell of a way to get a good guy on your side to slap him for trying to do a favor. But uh, I never poured water down a gas line again. <laughs> yeah, I bet. And then another time we were on a trip to Oklahoma, and uh, we were in my dad's new Super Buick 1940, I believe was the date. And we were all, Mom and Dad were in the back seat, and I was up front with Esther and Labe, and Esther was driving, and they were giving cross signals to each other, Esther and Labe. They were good buddies. And she cooked that car up to 105 miles an hour. Whoa. On the highway in 1940. So uh, we were uh, kind of a dairy-do family in that respect. Sounds like. Yeah. The car never suffered, though, thank God. Well, that's good. It didn't even suffer from the water? No, that was the Willie's Night that I poured that down. Oh, okay. Gotcha. But there wasn't that much water, so I, I was a little shaver. I I couldn't have carried that much water. Sure. Tell me about Labe. Labe? Well, he suffered because here I had normal height for my age. Ben had normal height for his age. He was heavier than most. But Labe was two inches shorter. So he carried the stigma of being a shrimp. He's either called shrimp or the Reuter, which means the red one. He had red hair. He was always a rascal. And he was tough. He was 5'7", full grown, but he was a great athlete. Could have danced circles around me as an athlete. He uh, played basketball and baseball and never indulged in football. I think he flunked his last year at the junior college in Kansas City. Then he got drafted, uh, which was the relief of my parents because he was involved with a non-Jewish girl, and uh, that was one way to see it get stopped. So he went off to the wars, as did my brother Ben already, in, in a different outfit. And Labe trained at uh, Fort Lewis, Washington. Then they sent him to Arlington, Virginia, and then to Moscow, Idaho, and I forget where else. Uh, he was in some ASTP, was the group that he was assigned to. I didn't know what the hell he was doing. But he was learning Japanese is what he was doing. That's what they were decided to teach him. So finally he went overseas, he went to Australia, and then as we made our invasion of 
the islands in the Philippines. He went into the Philippines. And then he went on to the occupation in Japan and was working in the MacArthur Building, where MacArthur had his headquarters, and uh, came home in 1946. Little did we know that other aunts and mothers uh, in our world, they had ensigns and second lieutenants and stuff like that, and they were always amazed that Leib was sending money home. How could he be sending money home? He's just a mere stripling corporal. Well, he had a private black market system of using his Japanese to go to the Japanese merchants and sell them American cigarettes. And he made a little fortune that way. So uh, that's how the little corporal was able to compete with the ensigns and the lieutenants. Nice. So I know that both of your brothers went into the military, and so did you. You worked for the Signal Corps? Yeah. What is the Signal Corps? It's a branch of the Army. But what do you? Who are you signaling? What are you? What are you doing? Well, they initially had me take Signal Basic, which was shorter than Infantry Basic at Fort Gordon, Georgia. After I finished that, they sent me to a subsidiary camp in New Jersey, uh, and you uh, were rendered into the basics of physics once again at this camp. It was like a four weeks you spent there, and then they um, signed you to the big fort located in Long Branch, New Jersey. And it was the intelligence section of the Army because the Signal Corps handled the high spy things, the radar and microwave and fixed station radio and all of those things. So we were assigned to that. And uh, it was never decided in the beginning what, what particular branch we were supposed to learn. We were supposed to learn it all. And in those days, everything we did was cheating. For instance, one of the test radar sets that we had to work on was a um, trailer. had a whole trailer system set up with it. Uh, it was finally decided that we'd spend a week working on it and then a week in the class, and then we'd be testing on it. The Korean War was on at this time, of course. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we all survived by cheating. I was a cheater. They had previous tests which had been effective that we had the answers to, and those were called G2s taken from Army Intelligence. So I had a G2 that was good. Our class was so big at the time that it was split in two, and I was in the second half. And the first half went in and was tested on this set, 
And they came out. While we're waiting to go in, and we were told by the first half that took the test that the G2 was not good. It was only good for like a 60. Oh, that's bad news. Bad, very bad news. So we went in, and on one side of me was a radio repairman, and on the other side was something like a telephone repairman. I don't know what it was. But they had a, a good basic knowledge on electronics. And I would take a peek over at their papers, my paper, their paper, look at the G2. Then the guy cut a corner from me in the row in front of me, told me that the G2 from the other class was not good. He had one that was good for 80, and he would palm that and show it to me whenever he could, and I would look at that and compare it with my answers, and I didn't know what to pick from. It was a glut of riches, but it was all very nervous and testy. So I did the best I could, and the papers were finally handed in, and it was then announced that I was the only one who scored 100. The only one? Did everybody get mad at you? No, no. When they announced that I had the only one who got 100, because I was picking and choosing all the time, they said, well, let Asner give the critique of the test. And I, well, absolutely, I'd be, I'd be happy to. See, one is, it's a multiple choice test. And I would uh, say, this is one, and, uh, and I chose A because of blah, 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 blah. You can bullshit your way around all of this. And I did. I got to question three, I think I answered. And the bell rang and the class was over. So I didn't have to go through the whole test. Nice. Yeah. And eventually we were given assignments and everybody else got an assignment and I was about the only one who didn't get an assignment and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm thinking all kinds of dire thoughts. And finally my orders came and I I was sent to France. It was the town of Saumur and it's in the Val de Loire, the wine country of France. It's near the little town of Poitiers and I got my dream of seeing France courtesy of the army. During the Korean War. It's better than having to see Korea during the Korean War. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, Bob. So, eventually, you decided the military wasn't going to be where you stayed. So, you you went to go try to become an actor. Very early, you worked with some of the greats, like recently passed, rest in peace, uh, Jerry Stiller. Yeah. You worked with Jerry Orbach, even Nichols and May. Yeah. So you must have had some of the greatest times because all of you guys were friends and y'all would go hang out, not just work together, but y'all would hang out socially, right? Yeah, more or less. I never slept with Elaine, <laughs> but uh, if she's still available, I'll be glad to talk to her. <laughs> Mike directed a 15-minute playlet. We were in a breakaway group at the University of Chicago. Tonight at 8.30 was called. And they were going to do uh, George Bernard Shaw's Androcles and the Lion. And Mike was going to play Androcles. No, no, the Emperor. That's what he was playing. And they decided that they needed a curtain raiser because the play wasn't really long enough. So they uh, decided to have me do William Butler Yeats's Purgatory, a 15-minute playlet. as one other character in it, my grandson, whom I kill. And Mike was asked to direct it. And I tell people who are happy to hear it, I don't remember his directing me to do anything in the play, but it was fun. We had a good time. And we did the play well. And he was 
quite good as the emperor. But he claims that we are roommates at the time. I almost said roommates. Did you notice that? I did. That would have made y'all twins. That would have, oh my God. (laughs) That would have been something, wouldn't it? I had twins eventually, but not through Mike. (laughs) So I, I, I don't recall being a roommate with Mike, but... He was funny and he was cute. I mean, we all came out of Paul Sills. He's the one who instilled improv in most of us. And he learned that improv from his mother, Viola Spolin, who was a great improv teacher. Valerie learned a great deal from her, Valerie Harper. So where are we? What do you want to know? Well, I want to talk some more about your book. We haven't talked anything about my book. Well, we really haven't. It's, the book is, you know, A, B, C, uh, how we settle in the West Bottoms, where the only tree that grows is the tree of Brooklyn, which grows where other trees don't grow. The, the arid situations, the Atlantis tree, it's called, A-I-L-A-N-T-H-U-S. We had Atlantis trees down in the bottoms, but uh, little else. It was dry and hot and industrialized. Go ahead. <laughs> One of my favorite sentences in the whole book is a very short sentence, but it's such a great sentence. You say, Betty White is one classy broad. And I love the way that sentence is constructed just because the dichotomy between the word classy and the word broad. Uh-huh. You really didn't go into too much detail about why you think that. You did say that she was sweet and kind and she never refused a request. No. But what makes you say she was such a classy broad? What was so great about Betty? What is so great about Betty? Well, she's married to Alan Ludden, as you know. And um, I had done a lot of the Alan Ludden Q&A shows. I forget what they were called. And he was a very sweet guy. And... I was busy with the breakaway part of the union at the time, and we were trying to encourage and make the union more militant than it had been. So um, it was time for contract negotiations, and I, uh, as a working actor, I had a name, and so I helped lead the chorus to strike everything. That If we were going to strike, we had to truly strike everything, and... That means even the game shows refuse to appear on the game shows. Game shows, of course, were harmless, but the producers would use the game shows as a recourse when their programming was shut down. So we were even including the game shows. And Betty, sticking up for her husband, Alan, was unhappy with that. And she told me off one day, and I admired her and gave her the name Classy as a reward. (laughs) <laughs> because she was going to stick up for her man no matter what the circumstances. Well, he survived, and Betty certainly survived, and so did I. So when you were the president of SAG, one might say that it affected your career. Now, probably more so the El Salvador incident, but also being the president of SAG. Knowing what you know now, if you had to do it over again, would you run SAG again? Would you change anything about that? No, it's like the guy being lynched. If it weren't for the honor, he'd rather walk. I did the SAG thing because urging of of my peers and I had a name 
and it would uh, attract, and uh, I was seemingly more militant than the previous occupant of the presidential chair, but it didn't do any good. I, I could say I did it for the prestige, and people speak well of my presidency, but I could have done better elsewhere. How come you didn't go into actual politics after that? Because being an actor, you're capable of speaking out on things that an actual politician could never afford to do. And granted, you you may get tripped up and, and be blacklisted because of what you choose to support, but it carries its own power with it. Indeed. Now, folks, he does tell some of these stories and more in the book, Son of a Junk Man, and... Again, it's highly entertaining. It's not long enough, but it is highly entertaining. What there all is right, of it, right, I promise. Enough of that. <laughs> we know where you live. I was just messing with you. <laughs> In this book, Ed, you publicly apologized to your first wife, Nancy. Why did you feel the need to do that in this book? Because I betrayed her. I betrayed her, and uh, she was too pristine to be worthy of betrayal. Did you guys manage to have a good relationship after everything that went down between you two? Did y'all manage to become friends again? Oh, we were friends, certainly. It's like our trains always pulled into the station at different times so that I wasn't able to set up what was my hope, which was to reunite. But the situation and the, the conditions were never appropriate to set the stage for reunification, so I lost my opportunity. And uh first part of this year, she died. I'm sorry about that. I am too. She's a good lady, hell of a lady, a lady above all. You get that impression when you read the book. Yeah. When you talk about her, you talk about her in such glowing and loving words. It really comes through, how much you care for her. That's good. I uh, could never say too much. Well, let's pivot just a little bit and talk about the new show, Briar Patch, that's going to be on the USA channel. What have you heard about that? I have not heard a single thing. Really? Not a single word. I haven't heard anything about it at all. I heard a disparaging report about it. You did? Yeah, I just wonder how true it is. Well, I don't have cable anymore uh, as of recently, so I don't have the USA channel. Mm -hmm. uh, so that might be why I've never heard of it, but I definitely haven't heard anything bad about it. Mm -hmm. Well, I wonder, well, when is it supposed to be on? Well, according to the internet, the first episode came out last February. <laughs> yeah, and what happened after that? According to the internet, they kept coming. I don't know. So is there going to be a season two? Well, actually, what is the show about? Do you know? It's about the many veins of corruption that exist in a uh, dusty southwestern town like San Antonio. <laughs> so what are you going to do? Yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah. So are you in a lot of the episodes? I apologize for asking you. I don't know a whole lot about this show. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. And we did something very strange. David Tamer plays my son, and he's a wonderful actor. There was this one episode where we are in attendance at one of the corruptors' homes. He's having a garden party, and we're sitting there, and uh, various personages get up and speak and get up and speak and get up and speak. And all through this, I'm sitting there with my son, David Tamer, and I'm muttering and I'm bitching and uh, raising all kinds of quiet hell. And they put a camera 
on both of us and filmed us jawing each other while the, the main attraction was on the raised platform, talking away. But they were getting our reactions to each other and our muttered comments to each other. I had never done that before, and it was not scripted. And I wondered, uh, how did it come off? I'll never know, I guess. <laughs> if only there was a way you could watch it and find out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, if the series finishes, then we'll know. Yeah, I guess so. But I certainly hope the show does well, even if they don't feature strongly David Paymer and me. Sure. Ed, how come you still work? I mean, you're 90, and there's no way you could possibly be hurting for money right now. Oh, there is. <laughs> well. Then <laughs> send that address you have for me. All right, I'll just send you all the money. But no, seriously, how come you still work? I need money. I need money. No, why is it important for you to work? Well, I just said it. I need money. And, <laughs> and even if I didn't, I think I would be taking the jobs because... Uh, I love the work. For instance, my, my daughter produces uh, two plays that I go out and tour with. One is uh, a single show, and the other in, involves man and woman couple in whatever town we're playing in. And the way I speak of, of this, I hate to get there. I hate to travel. But once I'm there, we do the show, and from the show, I draw sustenance from the audience and the the laughter and the commentary that they give me. It truly is a spinach that I indulge in. I think it was either Chuck Berry or B.B. King, one of them said, they pay me to travel, I play for free. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> sort of sounds like you. Uh, yeah. You don't really like the traveling, but once you're there, you're in your element. Uh, travel sucks. Is one of the shows that you still travel with, is that uh, Man and His Prostate? Yeah. Well, revive that thing and bring it to either San Antonio or Austin so I can come check it out. All right, man. We got you down on paper. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. And I'll bring my lovely wife. How's that? Oh, I want her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ed, you are such a delight. Pure and simple. I don't know why you have such a reputation for being grouchy. I don't either. People, you certainly don't know me very well. They must not take the time because you are a delight, sir. Well, if that's good, then, then grouchy is the formula for winning hearts. It must be, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, Ed, I know that we, we only talked briefly about the book, sort of. We really talked more about getting to know you, which really is the heart and soul of this show. And we briefly touched on, on Briar Patch on the USA channel. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't address today? Well, I've probably done more different shows than most people out there. Yeah, I think there's only two people who have ever won a enemy for playing the same character as a drama and as a comedy, right? Only two, and you're you're the first one. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can fool some of the people some of the time, <laughs> and we did. But the journey has been, you know, wonderful. Uh, been a wonderful journey. Uh, I've I've kept my ass from getting too raw, and I'm, I'm surprised to find myself at the tail end of it here. But it's been such a pleasure and delight. And I, there have been very few big breaks, which meant Poor Man was one, certainly. Ruth was another. And, of course, Mary Tyler Moore. It's, it's hard to find any additional breaking through occurrences that happened. Yeah. Up was massive. The cartoons were a big plus. The, the fan mail I get is 
quite flattering for the cartoons that I write. And the interesting enough, I don't hear any more from the cartoon people. Really? No, no, don't hear from them either. Well, I'll put some calls out. So either they're dead or they they got tired of me. <laughs> maybe you outlive them too. Maybe, maybe. Ed, do you recommend getting to ninety? Well, yeah, but I got to ninety in a pandemic. That's no fun. <laughs> uh, the pandemic kept me housebound, which may have been a good doctor's prescription, but I certainly didn't enjoy it. But I didn't have to travel, you see. Oh, well, that is a plus. That's a plus. What are you doing to stay busy and to stay safe over there? Well, I handle my mail. I uh, I live with my daughter and her twins and a great nephew and another great nephew. No, no, grandson. Uh, He's not a nephew. So the house is busy and flowing in and out all the time. But that'll be coming to a stop, I guess. We're going to be sticking our toe in the water come July, I think. Gotcha. And uh, we'll be plunging into the sea of pandemic at that time. Well, I'm praying for you. Hopefully it's not going to be too bad once you finally poke your head out. God willing. God willing. willing. Well, Ed Asner, the incomparable eight-time Emmy winner. I want to thank you. Well, if I, I, I didn't bore you. I know we didn't talk about the book either, but you, know, you didn't give me questions about the book. I know. It's because I read it, and I want other people to read it. Well, you got to cite specific instances. Oh, okay. Well, there's a lovely story. You're going to do that now? Well, right now, right at the end. There's a lovely story in Chapter 9 about one time where you and Ted Knight and Gavin McLeod and Ted was trying to do this scene without you, and he did it three different ways, and you got all, what the hell? You rascal, we were struggling to do it one way, and you did it three times, and it was funny each time, and anyway... I, I told it yeah. terribly. You you tell no, some no, really you tell some great stories in this. You come across and are influenced by some very entertaining people in this book. Also, you have quite the political affiliation, you know, all the way back to that playhouse way back in the early days and all of the yeah. things that happened there and Yeah. It's just a wonderful read. It really is. Well, I'm glad you liked it, man. That's all. I loved it. That's got some nice pictures. Oh, man. That was one of the, my favorite parts. Yeah. So when when you were talking earlier about your siblings and you were talking about how pretty yeah. your sisters were and how handsome your brothers were, you yeah. were not wrong. Yeah. They're beautiful, <laughs> all of them. And I loved seeing yeah. those pictures. So thank you for including those. Thank you. My dad always favored my mother's younger brother, who was a scrapper. He was always getting into fights. And when they first came to the country, they all worked in a packing house. And the other workers at the packing house would make fun of my grandfather's beard because he was working there, too. And my uh, mother's younger brother would, was very busy knocking down and knocking out people who made fun of his papa. <laughs> That's one of the incidents that happened. Then he became a drummer on the on the road. And the other brothers did the same. They became drummers. You know what a drummer is. I am aware, yeah. Uh, what is it? <laughs> is it a person who drums? No. This is seller, like shoes. Oh. Selling shoes on the road, selling clothes on the road. A traveling salesman? And that's what they did, yeah. He ended up in Borger, Texas. Oh, get her on out of town. Yeah. And uh, the other one ended up in... Uh, Oh, what the hell is it in Texas? Damn it. Down in South Texas. San Antonio? 
No, no. <laughs> further east. What's further east? Houston? No, down towards the border. I can't remember. Oh, well, me either. There's a lot of cities here. Yeah, a lot of people. Oh, yes, a ton of people. Ed Asner, thank you again. It was such an honor to talk to you the first time, and even the second time. I, I'm just blown away that I got to talk to you twice. Oh, that's great, man. Thank you. You are an icon and, a, and an institution, man. Thank you so much for taking the time. Well, I look forward to sitting eyes on your wife. <laughs> yes, you do. All right. Well, thank you. And you have a great rest of your week, man. Thanks to all your listeners. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right, man. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Opening music is the song Magnolia from the 2001 album Intransigence, used with permission from Douglas Miles Clark. Closing music is from the song Say My Name off the 2021 album Underdog Anthems, used with permission from Jax Hollow. If you like the show, tell a friend. Subscribe and rate and review the show on iTunes and wherever else you download podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel. All the episodes are available there as well. Check me out on Vero at Fascination Street Pod and TikTok at Fascination Street Pod. And again, thanks for listening. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chum. Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.